welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. This is our review of Ritual, starring Jennifer Grey, Craig Shefford, Daniel LaPayne, Kristen Wilson, Gabriel Cassis, and Tim Curry. Directed by Avi Nesher, released in 2002 in the Philippines and 2006 eventually everywhere else, on a budget of $10 million. All I could find about the box office were the words barely dented. So I scoured the internet and came up with nothing. So, loyal listeners, if you somehow know what this movie made in terms of profit, please let us know. But uh, notice I didn't say Tales from the Crypt presents Ritual. That's because the version I watched, it was just a Jennifer Grey voodoo thriller. Uh, what is the deal with this, this movie, Ron? Why is this part of our Tales from the Crypt retrospective? Well, because one of the alternate titles is... Tales from the Crypt Presents Ritual, also uh, called Tales from the Crypt Presents Voodoo, (laughs) also called A Spectacular Waste of $10 Million. (laughs) Hey, it must have been a heck of a vacation in Jamaica. Those were the words of my wife as she watched this with me. (laughs) Oh, I I have no doubt. $10 million in Jamaica can get you a lot of ganja. (laughs) A lot of something, man. Yeah, the troubled history of the production of this, um, what I read and what I find funny is that most people blame the fact that this took forever to get anywhere because Bordello of Blood was such a massive flop. And I don't doubt that in some ways, but what I don't understand is the fact that they seemingly made this film and then decided at the last minute, after having withheld it, to let's slap some dreadlocks on the Crypt Keeper and shoot an opening and closing with him in it. Because I have seen those scenes. Uh, I went to the internet and found those. But they were—they really added nothing to the entire story. I—I have—I didn't actually go looking up those scenes like you. I watched this on Netflix, um, mostly to justify the ten dollars a month I spend on Netflix. <laughs> And um, it's funny because it's completely stripped of all references from Tales from the Crypt, except in the ending credits where it says, like, Tales from the Crypt is based on the comic by William Gaines. Yeah. And that's pretty much the only reference. And apparently, I don't know if you went on the ritual IMDb page like I did, uh, Miramax bought the rights to this movie from Universal and stripped out all the Tales from the Crypt references just so they could release it as a standalone movie. I I can only assume that this came after the massive success that was Skeleton Key. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it kicked off a whole... You remember the the brief voodoo frenzy of the early double O's? Yes, yes, there seemed to be one. I was going to ask you, was this a part of that uh, mash of films? It's like now it seems like you know there were vampires forever because Twilight was big, and now it's zombies, right? Like the zombies have made the comeback, mm-hmm. and I think they've almost been done at this point. So I don't know what what's next, but um, maybe werewolves because Teen Wolf is apparently a, you know popular and Hemlock Grove on Netflix and all that stuff. But um, yeah, there was a a, a voodoo fetish uh, in the uh, the double aughts. I think the next, uh, I think the obvious next choice is going to be the sexy Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> uh, I mean, you've got Aaron Eckhart taking his shirt off in that one movie, and then we you've did got try that. That movie did fail spectacularly. <laughs> so... But you've also got the Frankenstein's monster on Penny Dreadful. Ah, see, I haven't seen the Penny Dreadful yet. I've heard lots of talk about this, but oh, it's it's quite possibly the best ever depiction of like Frankenstein's monster on television. Or in the movies. I might have to check that out. Because it, it plays a lot like the, the classic monster. Ah, oh, very cool. Well, then that I, I might enjoy. That might actually be good. But for tonight, we are talking about this to wrap up our Tales from the Crypt retrospective. And, um, well, I just want to say this. Taking away the Tales from the Crypt bit or whatever, and I, I'll say this from the get-go before we get into the plot summary here. I did not hate this as much as I thought I would, or maybe as much as I should. And I'm going to leave it to you to talk me off the cliff that I've walked out on here to say that this might have been an enjoyable experience somewhere along the way. I watched it twice for this review. And I, I watched it probably, I, I've tried to watch it three or four times <laughs> and I, and I, and I keep losing interest. Uh, and the, the, now that I've finally successfully gone all the way through it, um, I continued to lose interest, but (laughs) (laughs) despite the best effort efforts of uh, Jennifer gray and uh, a block of ice, it just 
failed to hold my attention all the way through. And I'm not sure why, because I, I like crazy voodoo. I like weird, pointless twists. I like all the weird stuff that goes in that went into the movie, but the final result just didn't capture my heart, I guess. Well, I am a fan of spectacular failure in films. And so if I see a film starting to unravel and derail, I want it to go all the way. And I think that only happens when the cast also realizes that this is a complete and total disaster. And then they go with it. And I think this cast does. I'll make that argument as we get into the discussion here. But before you go any further, Ron, why don't you tell us what ritual or Tales from the Crypt presents ritual or voodoo or whatever the heck it's called is all about. After killing a patient and losing her medical license, Alice, the lovely and nipply Jennifer Grey, becomes the personal physician for Wesley Claiborne, Daniel LePayne, the son of a wealthy family that has a mysterious medical ailment. Brother Paul, played by Craig Sheffer, pays for his medical treatment, but there's little Western medicine can do to treat someone who thinks he's a zombie. Meanwhile, the island's natives, like Caro, Kristen Wilson and Matthew Hope, played by the ever-popular Tim Curry in his bloat and goatee stage, <laughs> help Alice find her footing in the land of voodoo, or Obeya, I guess, that, but I'll keep calling it voodoo because I'm a clueless white person. <laughs> but will it be too late for Anne as she uncovers a deadly conspiracy involving black magic, black people, and black cats? It's Ritual, the Tales from the Crypt movie that has almost nothing to do with Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> I think you've summed it up quite well there, and uh, we just need to jump right into it. And I want to start, not necessarily where the movie starts, I want to start with the doctor that kills her patient. Can we just go there real quick? A great cameo by Stephen Tobolowsky, by the way, as the, I guess, head physician of the hospital. (laughs) She's got a a sick kid, you know, there, please help me. And, you know, Dr. Jennifer Grey is, Alice Dodgson is, is her name, is trying to, you know, do everything she can to help her, and she wants to try some experimental drug right and the doctor has told her you know that's not approved yet we can't do it you know don't do it and she goes ahead anyway and of course the kid still dies (laughs) i thought wow like i I understand like she loses her medical license in this how is she not in prison for that that's a very good question i can only i can only um guess that she somehow talked her way out of prison like dr house style (laughs) maybe this is like her her penance is she has to go to jamaica or she has to leave the country for it's one of those double secret michael jordan gambling in the 90s probations that you know happened well you know i I, that's a good story by the way and i totally believe in that conspiracy theory about jordan but i I will say this i would have actually liked this better had the story been she was evading the authorities she went to work for these really rich people and they like bought her out of it eventually because at the end of this movie she gets married to wesley so she never goes back home man i reckon she told him at some point look i like killed some people in new york so i really can't go back so (laughs) yeah uh, she she's the infamous new york ripper (laughs) yeah (laughs) well apparently she's got mob connections too she like threatens craig shaper later with this but but yeah, I I uh, I was really amused to see Jennifer Grey here, and and I will say this: this movie was made in you know two thousand one, two thousand two. She was like in her forties when this is made, and she looks pretty amazing. I will I will go ahead and give her that credit. She looks really good for for a woman in her forties. Yeah, she she looks phenomenal, and that's the the one of the best things she brings into the picture is that she still looks amazing, and. You know, I would buy – I. she's old enough to where you buy her as a doctor, but attractive enough where you can buy that she marries a much younger rich man. Yes. <laughs> it's right – she's right there in that sweet spot. Exactly. Well, I mean, look, she walks around in, like, the scantiest clad clothes and, like, the same outfit the whole time. She's got two outfits. She's got, like, the tank top nipple shirts which we're going to we'll, we'll talk about. And then she's got like the blue, you know, long sleeve shirt and the khakis. It's like they had 10 million dollars, they'd spend any of it on her wardrobe. It's like they'd send her to JC Penney's and that's what she came back with. 
Yeah, she's either she spends the whole movie in her underwear, or she spends it in uh, what looks like a used car salesman outfit. <laughs> Something. I, she does not look like most doctors that I've seen. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe she's just an intern. Maybe she came from a house's staff. She kind of plays it like that. But uh, this I guess this was pre house. So. And the movie also made a point of making fun of her for her lack of interest in clothing. Yes, because because that that's a great way to lampshade it. Yes, of course. Let's call it out. So, but the the movie does open in Jamaica. This, this strange party going on where you've got this woman dancing. You've got this very large uh, man, you know, lusting with his eyes over her. You know, and there's all kinds of like voodoo going on, and they're having a party for a guy who's not there because, as we'll learn, he thinks he is a zombie. Um, yeah, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> and his doctor has some sort of freak out hallucination where he thinks he's like the temperature continues to rise and he basically melts Raiders of the Lost Ark style in his lab. Yes, he he becomes he performs a paternity test for a young lady and then. After she leaves with her paternity test, number one, she gets hacked to death with a machete. Yeah. Because apparently in Jamaica, machetes are, are as common as toothpicks in America. <laughs> and then he turns into a slime glopola monster and flops around and eventually dies. I thought he was the thing in like Return of the Living Dead that comes out of the canister. Oh, yeah, the tar man. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. <laughs> it's kind of what he looked like. But then when Craig Schaefer, I mean, like straight out of you know the One Tree Hill shoot, it looked like, comes in there and finds him and realizes that he, he's just dead. He's just laying on the ground dead. Like, it's all a hallucination. And it's not the first time that weird hallucinations will haunt this film. No, uh, they keep going back to the weird hallucinations uh Tr- that that's that's something that they keep pulling out time and time again. It's it's the trump card in their deck. <laughs> we don't know what to do. It's, it's time for another weird hallucination. Well, what's this one going to be about? I don't know. Throw some bugs on Jennifer Grey. Okay. So <laughs> I mean, have some, have some drums and some weird dancing and and a random breast. Yeah, it's exactly. So <laughs> uh, I I agree. I mean it it. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, hold on one second. I'm getting a random text here that I need to answer. So, okay, yeah, hold on. So, uh, it, it's it's funny that you mentioned Teen Wolf because mm-hmm. Craig Sheffer was the voice on uh, was on the voice of the Teen Wolf TV series. Oh, really? Yes, he played <laughs> Mick. <laughs> I think Craig Sheffer has been in every like B picture thing of all time i'd actually find him fun he he was actually in one of my favorite hellraiser sequels he was in inferno uh, uh, yeah i noticed that i was gonna bring that point up at some point yeah we, i'll let you do that well no go, go ahead you bring it up because i talk about hellraiser enough and i could jump in on it too but yeah so so i mean that's what the setup here is is the doctor's dead so they got to get a new doctor and you know as it were turned out well there's one looking for a job and what what I found amazing about that is like she goes to like a placement service to get the job, and I'm like, man, the the Claiborne's clearly are loaded, like way loaded. They're moving things into escrow accounts and Swiss banks and all this stuff. They own like major plantations in Jamaica, and they they had to go through a placement service to get a doctor. <laughs> I, I think it was the same uh, placement service that that mob bosses used to find their disgraced doctors. It must I th- be. <laughs> I think there's like some kind of New York network, like um, you know, uh, findthecrookeddoc.net, <laughs> and everybody has a, you, you pay your subscription fee, you know, and you get your choice of like alcoholic internist, you know, um, unethical, uh, you know, <laughs> medical prescriber. <laughs> yeah, general practitioner with a hook for a hand, you know, yeah. that kind of. You know, guy with an eye patch. <laughs> what, I, what, I, what, I, what I love is that it's a dot net <laughs> website. Well, it's a network. You're, yeah. you're networking. Because <laughs> that's how it works. 
I I agree. That uh, that's hilarious. So, but yeah, that's the whole setup here, right? So like desperate for a job, which I love. This she calls her old boss for a reference, and I love like the way she actually plays it out. I almost want to cut this and use it as a workshop tool because she actually does a pretty good job of you know being honest about her checkered past. <laughs> it's like, well, look, I just wanted to know, you know, tell him what what happened exactly. Like, tell him I murdered this child as I totally disobeyed direct orders not to use medicine you told me wasn't ready for the market. <laughs> so, but, um, but I think that's part of the whole attraction that uh, Craig Sheffer has with, uh, what was her name, Anne? Alice. Alice. I keep yeah. calling her Anne because <laughs> that's the name of the doctor turned militia leader on Falling Skies. Played by, played by Moon Bloodgood. Anyway, <laughs> he keeps telling – he keep, I think that Alice having killed someone is exactly the kind of doctor he's looking for because, you know, as we find out later, he doesn't exactly want his brother to recover – uh, to the full health, but he also doesn't really want him to die mm-hmm. either. So with a kind of a, a doctor who's proven herself not to make the right decisions, I think he could kind of keep her in balance, keep her in check a little bit. And she's clearly going to fully be under this guy's thumb, stuck in a country where everyone speaks English and everyone is very helpful to her. Yeah. <laughs> which I, which I did find completely awesome she gets off the plane right and what i love is that you know she bumps into jb the taxi driver hey baby girl i'd love to have a good time with you but me working now i'm like man i don't know where this guy is from i think i've seen him in other stuff i'm fairly certain that's a fake accent i haven't heard that bad of a fake jamaican accent since mario van peebles was in jaws 4 i mean (laughs) everyone here has a terrible affected accent and I don't think any of them are authentic. I know Kristen Wilson's like from Connecticut, so so Cairo. So I don't know what they were playing, but I, I, I'm like, you can't find enough. Like, there's not enough actors that can actually pull that off that will work that cheap. Come on. Yeah, uh, the guy who plays JB, you still there? Yeah, I am now. Call, call dropped just for a second. Go ahead. You okay. said the guy that played JB. Uh, the guy that played JB, Gabriel Casillas. Is actually from New York as well, so it's probably like they went up to New England and rounded up a bunch of theater actors and said, "All right, let's go to Jamaica, you guys." I I can only imagine and Tim like, Curry was already there. <laughs> I can only imagine like with he and Kristen Wilson, it's like Anthony Anderson and Tay Diggs in uh, Malibu's Most Wanted, <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're all like, "Oh man, we get to really explore ourselves here. This is going to be awesome." Now, what do I get to do? Hit on Jennifer Grey. Even though she's twenty years older than you, what was she in again? Dirty Dancing. You never seen it? No, I haven't seen that. Okay, okay. Well, just don't worry about it. It's okay. She's hot. You'll like her. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, that's all he he gets. That he gets to trip out while driving because he had some bad brownies or something, and he gets to skulk around <laughs> in the background and then stab somebody in the end. I love JB though. He's funny. <laughs> he he's he's one of the he's he's like you said he's one of the actors that really commits to the 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 stupidness of the movie. Yes. In his part. And you know what I'm I'm getting a vibe of immediately, Ron, is what I got off of Demon Knight. Like a really weird start, but everybody seems to be totally bought into the to the bull that they're trying to shovel on screen. So I'm at least going with it, you know? Well, yeah, yeah and you've got the master of that sort of thing, Tim Curry, right there. <laughs> yes. Let's, can can I, we I, talk I, about him? <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. <laughs> the drunk veterinarian used to be a doctor, right? That's his story in this movie. Yes. I yeah. believe the drunk part. I actually think they probably paid him in alcohol. <laughs> yeah. In my vision of this movie, they flew down to Jamaica. They had a different guy to play Matthew Hope. But then Tim Curry wanders onto the set, and the, the clothes that he wears in the movie are just his clothes. <laughs> and he's got like a coconut drink in. He's got like a coconut drink in one hand and a big spliff in the other. Exactly. Hey, look, can you he's just. He's like, hey, you guys making the movie? Yeah, you need you need somebody to be kind of weird and molestery around some hot women. Sure, no problem, because so, that's what he is. So, I mean, we meet him at the party, and the blonde—I don't even know her real her name. Doesn't matter. The the uh, real estate woman, and he he meets her, you know, partner and sweetie or whatever. And he's like, I've been admiring your friend's you know assets. <laughs> yes, her name is well. Judging by the picture on IMDb, her name is Jessica. Ah. Or, no, Jessica Collins is the actress. Jackie is the character. Okay. And the sweetie who actually gets a name is named Scott, and the actor's name is also Scott. <laughs> 
didn't even bother to change it over. Well, he's in the movie for like two scenes. That one and where he dances with uh, uh, Caro, and then he gets his head chopped off with a with a machete. So JB's the one that sets up the machetes, though, because Jennifer Grey's like everybody's got a machete. He's like, yeah, everybody carries machetes around here for work, for travel, for protection. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he just sort of drops that line, and it's just sitting there. And I was like, "Wow, that, that's a way to get that out." But they don't really pay that off. Like, I I needed her to pick up a machete and go after somebody sometime in the third act. That's it's Chekhov's machete. They don't they don't pay it off, man. Well, JB does use his machete. This is true. He does he but does pick up. I, I did want like a double fisted machete, like or at least one machete fight. Yes, I think it, it, there was definitely room in there for like a machete fight. Between, I don't know, take your pick, whoever. Alice and Cairo. Alice and Cairo should have done that. Their actual showdown is kind of weak, you know, when when you get down to it. So when it comes around. But I I don't know. The intro to the characters, the whole plantation, the whole bit. What's funny to me is that when they get her and she is doing, I guess, her final follow-up interview or whatever with Paul, Craig Sheffer, at the house, they like, I don't know if it's edited this way or someone told them to do this. They step all over each other's lines, like constantly. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed that, and I expect better from the star of Hellraiser Inferno. (laughs) (laughs) Well, having reviewed that many moons ago with with Nick, I can tell you that was one of the better Hellraiser sequels. um, I don't know if that's saying anything or not, but I thought he was fine. I think it's one of the few that I've seen. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's one I would recommend. It's actually not too bad. Well, as long as it's not the one with... um... The guy from Oz in it. I'll, I'll be okay. Uh, yeah, no, it's not that one. So <laughs> I did try to watch that one. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's that dude. But no, this one. Th- that one's pretty good. He's actually okay. In it. I think again, Craig Sheffer kind of knows what he's in. I mean, he's you know he's probably forever going to be known if if people don't know him from One Tree Hill from uh, a, a River Runs Through It. You know, I you know he, I think people may recognize him from the program if anybody still remembers that movie. But I think A River Runs Through It is kind of like the commercial thing he did or the big successful artistic thing. And then since then, he's just been cashing the chips because so, he's in like every BR movie sequel ever. The only thing he hasn't done, he, he didn't do the big three. He didn't do A Nightmare on Elm Street, A Friday the 13th or Halloween, but he sure could have. And he's a dead ringer as like a du- a stunt double for David Boreanaz. How he never wound up on Angel, I'll never, I don't know. But uh, he should it's, have. Yeah, he could have been Angel's brother. Yeah, uh, maybe he could be on Bones and be that dude's brother. I haven't seen that show much, but so. Yeah, that that would. I mean, it's, it's still David Boreanaz. So I, I imagine at any point when he does need a, a replacement or a stunt double or a non-union Mexican equivalent, you've got Craig Sheffer there in the bag. <laughs> Star of Fire on the Amazon with Sandra Bullock, <laughs> which I rented from Hollywood Video in the late '90s because I got a job there, and it was in the <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was in like the weird, the weird video section because it was a Roger Corman flick, but yeah. it also had Sandra Bullock in it, and it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like most Craig Sheffer films, but I actually think he's okay in this one. Like he's, it's not that bad. Like he, it's not great, but he's all right. But I don't. What I cannot get through my head is how in the world, like, again, they got away with all of this, the, these people stepping all over each other when they're, like, talking. Like, it's a bad edit job. It's a, it's a sign of a film that didn't even look like it was finished before they, they threw it out there. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't play as intentional to me. It, it plays as, well, we're out of time, so we can't go back and fix it. We, we we threw that film away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very, I don't know, kind of weird. But I like the whole setup here because you don't know if Paul's a good guy. Is he nefarious? I, you know, you can kind of get that guess or whatever, but you don't know, right? Like, it's it's sort of strange. And we see Wesley finally over in his little room where he's locked up by himself. And he's he's having all kinds of weird flashbacks and stuff. And apparently they've got like on-demand CT scans of his just laying around for her to examine. I, I think it's left over from the previous doctor who uh, hallucinated himself burning to death. There we go. That must have been it. Because so, yeah. they had a bunch of his records and stuff. But uh, – they were just missing the last three months of his scans or what have you. Yeah, there was a blank in the in the the records. That's kind of weird, right? So, um, I also like how we meet the Cairo character, or Kara, or whatever they call her. 
Christian Wilson, the who turns out to be the the actual bad person, so the really bad person behind all of this stuff. She is. I don't even know what you call this performance, man. It is. Uh, well, it's it's truly unique. I I would call it pretty to look at. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of her job in this, right? Yeah, she's there to to be cute and to be the wild child, and the one who helps. The, the stiff neck Dr. Alice loosen up and show a little skin and have a little Jamaican fun. Right. She's, she's how Alice got her groove back. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's a good catch. So she certainly is. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I noticed it on the second time through the number of times they drop clues that there's more to her than meets the eye. You know, her little her little act with the superintendent is one thing. When she acts like she can't run fast enough and Alice has to go away from her. Like, oh, there's so many times she does stuff when it's like you can tell, like, man, you're you're being shady, lady. We we all know it. when she's clearly like super fit. Yeah. She like there may be zero percent body fat on her. And again, Jennifer Gray looks amazing in this. Kristen Wilson looks like you know, she is a workout model. Like she's got ripped abs. She is, she's she's miniature. And she's like, Oh, can't run like that girl. You know? It's like, what did you buy that? No wonder you're a crappy doctor. So, <laughs> so yeah, she's uh she, but again, I, I give her credit, I, Ron. She's given a terrible performance, but I think she knows she's supposed to. Like that's the whole bit. She's she is the illegitimate daughter of the plantation owner's father, right? Like that's she's the the illegitimate Claiborne daughter, and her thing is she doesn't want some of the money. She wants all of the money, and so she's gonna scam them out of it eventually. Yeah, I think that um, I, I think that there's a big clue just in the fact that that they cast this particular actress who, who is really, like you said, she's fine. Uh, but she's also got what looks like blue eyes or like mm-hmm. hazel eyes. Yeah. And I don't think that's terribly common amongst, you know, Jamaicans. Yeah. She has a, she has a very freaky look to her, you know, if for someone of her ethnicity and look and everything, she just looks very different. And if, yeah, if I was going to point out the voodoo lady, she would be like number two on my list. Behind yeah. behind the, the uh, scary old uh, caretaker man. Yeah, Ramon. Ramon. Who, who walks around with a knife and uh, he doesn't even get any lines, which can only let me know that like maybe his accent was so bad that they were like, no, you, you're not allowed to talk anymore. Yeah, he was probably the one real Jamaican. One of the <laughs> few real Jamaicans on the set. <laughs> That's true. He probably was. And they're like, no, he's going to make everybody else's accent seem worse. We can't. I can't have that. I, I imagine he was just hanging out with Tim Curry when they wandered onto the set together. <laughs> and Tim Curry was like, hey, get my friend a job. Yeah. This guy's been working in my, you know, uh, cabana for a couple of weeks. So he's he's my dealer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he was everybody's dealer. So I mean, for, for, I'm, I'm fairly certain there were a lot of. Uh, well, we can make the assumption that there were a lot of substances being used on the set here. Um <laughs> You know, I'm not going to throw any, I don't want to throw any, uh, you know, stones, but uh, it looks like there were a lot being thrown around. (laughs) Uh, So first night in Jamaica, the doctor sees Wesley walking around and she gets into her clothes really quickly and she runs to find him getting into a car to go somewhere unknown. And then again, another bad shot in the movie. She comes back in and her and Craig Sheffer are having a conversation like as he she's walking down the hall and we're staying on her and he's in the background just talking like this. And, it's what it's just, <laughs> and I don't know if that's supposed to be the clue that she's going into dream state at that point, because what happens is she gets taken into a room and Ramon and a bunch of people throw bugs on her and, you know, Caro apparently gets her head chopped off by a machete, but then she wakes up only to realize that's not true. And she finds a voodoo doll hung in her shower. So when did when did the dream start and reality end is what I want to know. I would say the if it's my guess, I would say the whole thing was the dream because, I mean, it starts out with that suspicious uh, soundtrack drumming. Yeah. And then you see what's clearly zombie Wesley shambling out of his house into a car driven by the creepy Butler. It all just kind of seems like the, that whole part was just the dream sequence. Okay. So the whole thing was, even though she actually sees that happen later on down the line, like she sees him perform this act over and over again. 
Right. But I don't know. That was just my guess on the whole thing. It just seems – I mean, who who sits around folding their clothes in their underwear? <laughs> I don't know. It's very strange what, what she goes through in this film. It's really weird. So I I don't know. I, I mean, again, she's she's just sort of hanging out. Like at, at this point, she hasn't even met her patient yet. You know, she's read his records. She's talked to everybody under the sun about him except him. I don't know what kind of doctor you go to, but my doctor doesn't want to see me ever. So, (laughs) you know what? You're you're right. I I don't know why I would have expected anything because actually my doctor's really good. Like I actually see them when I go see them here. So maybe I'm spoiled on that. But uh, (laughs) yeah. And now that I've said that, they're 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 going to totally change business practices, and I'll never get in again. But well, I'm glad I was able to ruin that for you. Yeah, that's. I, I don't know that enough people will listen to get me that far. But if he's, if you're listening, Doctor Greer, thanks for all the great service. So anyway, um, point being, she she's having weird stuff happen, and what she finds out from Kara the next day is like, oh, somebody put the voodoo on you, but they have a different word for it. What is the word they keep using? Because I I it sounds like several things depending on who's saying it. I I believe the word is obeya. Okay. Depending on who says it, it could be Obi, Ober, Obea. I, I don't know. Well, if you go by Wikipedia, the way it's spelled, it's, there's O-B-E-A-H, which is what showed up in the closed captioning as I watched it. Ah. Uh, because I turned to closed captioning to see what they were saying. Because <laughs> I was like, what's Obi? <laughs> yeah, who's, who's Obi? <laughs> but it's also spelled O-B-I, O-B-E-A, or O-B-I-A. <laughs> Point being, it's Jamaican version of Haitian voodoo, because what we find out is that JB's father is a witch doctor, right? But he practices the white magic and not the the black magic, right? That's yeah. what we're led to believe. Yes, he's the Glenda the Good Witch of voodoo. <laughs> there we go. Then, who, then, then who's Alphaba? I guess that's Kara. So in this this scenario, so, but, but she goes about her way here and, and starting to learn about the ways of the voodoo. And I I love the, 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 uh, analogy that uh, Cairo gives her is voodoo is like disco. You dance hard, drink hard, smoke ganja, and your head goes all funny. And and I thought, or what you do to prepare for everyday shooting, because that's kind of what it looked like she was going through. Yeah. Yeah. What a, I, you know, I, I don't know. She's kind of a, a, a hot mess. Wesley's really a mess because when they finally meet him, like she finally gets to him, he, he does all kinds of crazy stuff. He breathes on her, like, get my breath bad. Oh, he's talking out of his head and she's, you know, trying to help him. And then, like, once, you know, he runs her off and she leaves, she goes, I can't believe a guy that smart thinks he's a zombie. I'm like, you just met this dude. How do you know how smart he is? Yeah, I'm not sure what part of that meeting established that he was supposed to be smart. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the fact that he knew uh, Byron. Is that it? <laughs> I, I can only assume so. Yeah, they uh, bonded over some like random poetry slam information. Right? Yeah, he, yeah, he mentions uh, Lord Byron's personal physician, Polidori, and that becomes their meet cute <laughs> uh, that persists throughout the movie. So if you get sick of the nickname Polidori, then this is not the movie for you because he never really uses her name uh, at any point that I noticed. I I didn't either. I'd never even heard him address her directly <laughs> most of the time. He just kind of looked at her as if to say, hey, you. You know, it's they have a strange love affair, these two. In fact, I kind of argue the ending of this. I'm like, that feels like it was as tacked on as the uh, the bits with the Crypt Keeper, because I I didn't see that going down. Did you? No, that at, at no point is there any real like, I mean, they make out once, but yeah, it, you know, that's no real sign of chemistry. That's just, you know, too much rum. In, in, in fact, like the makeout scene is a lack of chemistry. It's pretty bad. I mean, I think the makeout scene in, yeah, uh, in, could... in Shark Attack 3 Megalodon is more believable. <laughs> so, uh, so, and has better lines, too. So, uh, but, yeah, they, they have no chemistry together at all. 
I don't know how you can fail to have chemistry with half naked Jennifer Grey. But I, really, I, I'm going to keep saying it. I hate to be the horn dog here, man, but the woman is gorgeous, and you know she is all over this dude too. Which I mean, look at it in her rate. You know, like you know, Kara's always talking about girl. We got to get around to getting rich, you know, while we're still young and all this stuff. And, and she's got to be looking at it going like, I got 20 years on you, chick. <laughs> but she's also like, yeah, I also don't have a medical license anymore. So maybe if I hook up with the rich plantation guy, that's not such a bad plan B. <laughs> so. It's funny because the look that she gives her after that line kind of communicates exactly what you said. She gives her a look like, girl, I'm like old enough to be your mom. Yeah. <laughs> and I really think that might have been Jennifer Grey going, who writes this stuff? <laughs> so. That's it's uh, it's very weird. I love how they go and well, we got to talk about the superintendent for a minute here. The large, very sweaty African American man who has has a Ron Taylor who has a real hankering for the Cairo woman in his last film. We might add, um, <laughs> from Galveston, Texas, and he and died of a heart attack not long after this was completed. And it's pretty clear that it's his last movie because he can't even. And really deliver his lines without heaving breathily. Uh, I mean, although, he, although that might be added on, but that might be play acting. But he also doesn't look terribly healthy. No, and nor does he sound like the guy who did the voice of Bleeding Gums Murphy. <laughs> no, he is a large man, and he is a very sweaty one in this. I mean, I know how sometimes they affect that stuff, but looking at this and having been to Jamaica once, I'm like, you know, I can I can kind of buy that. <laughs> Because I've, I've sweat that profusely before in that place, so I can see how they put this you know, 300, 400-pound large man out there, and he's like, you want me to do what? <laughs> you want me to run? No. Yeah, so. that's that's one of the few times they didn't miss him to make fake sweat. They missed him to keep him cool. yeah. from dying. Yeah, exactly, and it didn't work. So apparently, bless his heart, he died of a heart attack. So, but he has a weird moment in here. Like he kills a lot of people. He shoots the guy that Cairo kind of you know, scratches up while having sex with him, and sort of fingers for the murder of the real estate you know, junkies or whatever. And then he kills Matthew later on because he doesn't want to screw up the real estate deal. Because apparently, he's in on this deal with Paul that Paul's going to sell everything and split the money up between him, Matthew, and the superintendent. Like that's, and everybody else is getting fired and getting screwed, right? Like that's what's going to happen. Right. Although I'm not sure why he ever cuts Matthew. Oh, he cuts Matthew in on the deal because he makes the feline leukemia. Yes. The base. Yeah. The thing that, that is like altered voodoo. So basically, it's we got to give him a disease that won't really kill him. It'll make him really sick that nobody can figure out what the hell's wrong with him. So I can convince him that he's crazy enough to get his power of attorney. Like, that's the idea. And it also makes you susceptible to voodoo, I guess. I guess so. Feline, which I'm like, I, I thought cats were like evil beings in their own right and were immune to all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> maybe that's just my version of Stephen King's cats, but... You know, still. So it's very strange what what's going on there with this guy. Yeah. They're they're their only weakness is their own cousins. <laughs> exactly. No, wait, their mother. It's it's the mother. Yes, it's the mother. It's In, uh, yeah. Cat people. Oh, oh wow. The one with Nastasia Kinski. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow, I I didn't want to think about John uh Hearn in that place again but now i have so but that's okay because the netto tools in that too so that's true <laughs> anyway so wow we just jumped down a bad movie memory lane so um <laughs> So it shows you how excited I am to talk about this movie. <laughs> well, it's more interesting than most of what's going on here, because I will say this about this film. The second act goes on and on and on and on. This movie is an hour and 40 minutes long, and it dare not have needed to be more than an hour and 10. Like it is if there was one of these that definitely needed to be a length of the show, it was this. Oh, clearly. Yeah, this and this is about the part where I, I kind of lose my interest. Once they get through the dance scene, yeah, uh, where she's dancing on the table, and after the first, uh, the real estate couple dies, then the movie really starts to to drag for me, and that's where it lost me, only to kind of pick me back up again for the third act. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is it completely unravels in the middle because they're just doing all this back and forth misdirection. And again, it's supposed to be the continued, you know, love affair between Alice and Wesley, where, you know, she knows he's sick and maybe even crazy because he thinks he's a zombie, but yet she goes and parties with him at Matthew's place because, you know, no problem. Let's go party on the beach. Woo! You know, (laughs) so, and drink lots of weird stuff and just, we're all going to have a good time, right? Yeah, and, I mean, who doesn't want to hang out with a creepy middle-aged man? Talk, and a woman you barely know that you just met and a guy that you're supposed to be treating. Talk about the Florence Nightingale effect <laughs> going going in reverse, you know? So, but that, that's this is where we get like actual information and get more clues coming up because at some point she gets infected with the same virus Wesley has. And what we find out later, it's like she falls and cuts her arm or something in a really awful scooter wreck sequence. And Cairo doctors her and like infects her with that, that gauze. And so in the middle of the night, she has this dream that Wesley stabs everybody in the middle of the night. And then she kind of snaps out of it, but then she doesn't and she stops breathing. And what's funny is to watch Tim Curry act like he's going to like, uh, give her CPR. And I, I think <laughs> at some point, Jennifer Gray was like, like Tim, please stop touching my chest. <laughs> you know, so he just sort of looks at her like you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah, I didn't understand. Are we to uh, are we to believe that she had stopped breathing, or that he saw, or that Matthew, the character, saw an opportunity to slobber on Jen, <laughs> uh, Dr. Alice I, and so, took it? Something, maybe so. I don't know. It's very weird. But like she she winds up in a hospital because she goes to the local doctors, but she doesn't believe it. Like it's just a virus, you know, or something. And she's like, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. And somehow, through like the greatest bit of Jeff Goldblum detective knowledge, she figures out that this is all like a, a ruse and it's all Matthew's disease and all this stuff. How does she come to that understanding that it's feline leukemia again? Uh, it's part of her um, voodoo hallucination. Okay. She sees like she flashes back to Matthew's house and she remembers the screaming cats and um, I guess is able to put two and two together because she's such an outside the box thinker that she killed that girl. I get. I guess so. Very, very strange. What what is happening here because they come back to Matthew's place. They find him dead because the superintendent's killed him. Cause he's like, we, we're going to split this two ways, not three, you know? And so there's that. And then Alice meets up with the other caretaker worker of the, the movie, uh, Violet, who apparently is trying to perform good voodoo at the same time. And so she takes, Alice back to Julian, the witch doctor. And I wrote in my notes. So Alice goes to like voodoo church and headbangs until she has visions and figures everything out. She talks to Julian and she learns a about that. Zombie powder is real. Mm -hmm. Uh, B she learns about anti zombie powder, but before she can do any of her science montage, to fight off the voodoo, she has to go to church and thrash around. Yes, it's a very um, – I don't know anything about like voodoo religions and voodoo churches and stuff, but I have seen Pentecostal services, and it, <laughs> felt, and it felt very much like one of those. So, maybe, maybe, she was, maybe she was bitten by some sort of cobra, and that was a side effect <laughs> of the venom as she – had all those dreams about cats. Uh, or if she would have been bitten by the right cobra, she would have become a ninja, right? So <laughs> that's the only thing that didn't happen was Michael <laughs> Dudikoff coming out of the rafters in the third act here. <laughs> and that would have been awesome, you have to admit. So, <laughs> but so she figures out the virus is feline leukemia altered to affect humans, huh? Whatever. So she does her science montage, like you say, and figures out what to do. And that night they hear the weird drums playing again. So they go searching for the source, right? And uh, I was like, this is the final clue that Kara is not uh, on the up and up because she's like, I can't run with you, Alice. And I'm like, woman, you're a foot taller than her. You probably weigh 40 pounds less than she does. And Jennifer Grey ain't that big anyway. And you're like, I'm all out of breath. 
<laughs> yeah, the difference is like 130 pounds to like a 95 pounds. Exactly. Fairy voodoo queen. Exactly. And so they make their way to the hills and, and get there and they see the big voodoo festival going down. You know, Wesley's there. Paul blows some, I guess, final voodoo dust into Wesley's face. Yeah, that's the uh, the zombie dust. That's it. There we go. The zombies. And they throw him in a casket. And I was like, serpent and the rainbow style. All I needed was somebody getting a nail driven through their testicles. And I would have been right back in that horrible <laughs> film, too. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. Judging from your laugh, you have. So, yeah. So, yeah, I just needed Bill Pullman to come out of the, the shadows at that point going, we did this 10 years ago. So, you know. <laughs> But nobody remembers that either. So moving along. Today is our Independence Day. So anyway, <laughs> they, they throw Wesley in the ground and... Alice shows up, of course, and she's trying to figure out what's going on. And, of course, as it all turns out, that the big bad magic behind it all, in true Scooby-Doo fashion, is Cairo. And and also in true James Bond fashion, she lays out the entire evil plan before killing everybody that's left, right? Like, that's her whole bit. Yes, she she gives us our final exposition, which is also the, a great movie title. <laughs> the final exposition. And then she... That sounds she, like a Woody Allen movie, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> she kills Paul? Yeah. She kills Paul somehow? Well, uh, Ramon kills Paul. <laughs> uh, Ramon kills Paul. Uh, was he going for a gun and gets stabbed, or did he just, like, twitch hard, and then they stabbed him anyway? Uh, that That's what I thought. I mean, I don't, maybe he just had a jerk reaction or something. I don't know. But he gets stabbed, and he's dead. So, goodbye, Craig. So, it's off to, off to go make that other movie you were doing or whatever and so he's dead and so she's the illegitimate child of paul and wesley's father ramon kills paul but then i love how she's like i want you to blow some dust in jb's face we're gonna make him a zombie too you know i can make you do it and what i found hilarious was of course it looks like she's mind controlling alice this whole time no one paying attention to the fact that Alice looks like she's about to rip her quadricep out of her right leg so she can stay awake <laughs> Yeah, I I guess maybe they thought it was some sort of voodoo paralysis. <laughs> Something, because in the and I mean, before it even happens, my wife's like, she's going to blow the dust in that other chick's face. I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> and the telegraph moment, here it comes. And, yeah, I think we all knew that was going to happen. Right. Again, though, I'm like, they missed an opportunity. She needed to machete that chick to death, but whatever so they turn she blows her zombie dust into her face jb kills ramon with a machete and then everybody else just bails <laughs> they're just like up oh, we're done so I'm like, there's no in it'd be like at the end of american ninja if uh steve james showed up killed one guy and like the rest of the ninjas started bugging out like we're done see you so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um alice inherited the voodoo powers when she turned Cairo into her zombie and she could use Cairo's zombie voodoo queen to voodoo everyone else. I guess. I don't know. Cause they, all they do next is just dig Wesley up out of the ground. And the next scene, her and Wesley are getting married. <laughs> so, and then we see somebody carrying the bride through the door and it turns out the superintendent has got zombie Cairo which he's always wanted anyway, and he throws her on the bed before he begins to disrobe. And I thought, I'm just glad they cut away before that sweaty man took his shirt off. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) I also like that it looks like apparently the superintendent married Cairo. Yeah. Because I guess you don't want to just rape your zombie corpse (laughs) wife. You just got to do it nice and legal right. (laughs) Maybe he just wanted it all to work out. He didn't get the money, but he got the girl. So. Uh, it's that's very good. That's yeah. a, it's a happy ending for him, and Cairo has a very unhappy ending. <laughs> yes, and uh, that's it. That's the that is the film, and then we get bad music to play over the the credit sequence. Well, to be fair, we got bad music out throughout the entire thing. Oh yeah, as, as if we didn't know, notice it was Jamaica because of all the machetes and the fact that they kept saying Jamaica. Yeah, uh, we also got terrible a terrible reggae soundtrack throughout the entire thing. Oh yeah. Yes, the cheapest of, of cheap reggae. It, was, it sounds like reggae produced by white people that don't know what reggae really sounds like. Um, also known as a Rick Rubin record. Uh, but I digress. So, well, Ron, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Ritual? Well, I think if you could cut like 20 minutes out of the middle of the movie, 
and just make it faster and leaner. Uh, I, I think it would have worked out better for me, but I just kept getting lost in the midsection, and I just kept looking at the clock like, all right, something cool is going to happen. Somebody's got to voodoo something. We need another hallucination here. Uh, and it just it just never happens. So I'm going to have to go with the small popcorn. I'm going to agree with you in the small popcorn. This movie is terrible. It goes on way too long. But I think it is an enjoyable small popcorn. It is definitely the kind of thing you could throw in with a group of friends if you like to sit around and watch Bad Movie Night. Like, there's a lot of fun to be had in this. Like, Bordello of Blood stopped being fun for me at some point in the middle of it. This one just got a little boring. But when that third act kicks in, man, I mean, it, it goes you know completely bug nuts and it's it's great i mean it's it's really funny how it ends my only my only concern with that is uh is that i'm afraid that the bad movie night crowd will fall asleep in the middle (laughs) that's the time when like you start playing jenga or something you know and tell everybody nothing that happens here matters just we'll come back so (laughs) so you order the the, order the pizza before you put the movie on so that way the pizza arrives about halfway into the flick and that captures everyone's attention and then uh, they come back around for the craziness. Exactly, exactly. Because that's the only way this can be enjoyed because this is a complete disaster as well. And small popcorn all the way. And wow, man, what a series. You know, a medium popcorn barely out of that first one. Billy Zane really saves it for me. And then two smalls in a row. Like, And, and I mean, talk about I, I see why this never got off the ground. And the funny thing about this is I read today, they're talking like reboot for tales from the crypt shows and films i I see that they clearly didn't learn their lesson the first time around or the second or the third like they had it right the first time demon knight worked and made them money and then they just totally blew it up after that with bordello of blood and then this thing which was just a a mess (laughs) i don't see how you spent how they spent 10 million dollars on this movie because i don't it's the it CGI. We didn't even talk about the bad CGI. Oh, the, the, the CGI uh, spiders that they pour on. Uh, the CGI Ray. trees that try to eat JB in his taxi cab. Yeah. And, that, and how her hair turned into CGI worms. Exactly. She turned into CGI Medusa all of a sudden. So, yeah, it's uh, I don't know either, man. But uh, whoever charged him that was maybe it was the catering budget. You know, <laughs> between between uh, Tim Curry and Ron Taylor might, might have gotten pretty excessive there. So. But either way, that's the end of our Tales from the Crypt series. And Ron, you know, we've had a lot of fun here with you on the show, American Ninja series. We've done these. Now it's time to do something a little different. Our our next series, we're going to go back to uh, an old friend. We're going to go back to Golden Globus here for a two shot this time. The Matt Hunter series, Invasion USA and Avenging Force. Because when I think of people who can replace Chuck Norris as your action star, I think of Michael Tudikoff. <laughs> I don't know about you. I I have never seen Avenging Force. I have seen Invasion USA many times and have a real fond memory of it from childhood. So looking forward to doing those two with you as well. Folks, you can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Just choose your podcast adventure there with one of our many links up at the front. You can also find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages and also find links to our iTunes subscription where you can leave us a review if you like the show. Please do because it helps other people find the podcast. We appreciate your support. Until next time, from Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. the crates.